Anybody ever been to Boston? Boston? What was that? Silly songs with Larry, the pirates who don't do anything. So he'd never been to Boston in the fall. And I've never been to Boston in the fall. The Boston Tea Party. Does that ring a bell with anybody? If you have heard of the Boston Tea Party, raise your hand. If you've heard of the Boston Tea Party, raise your other hand. Okay, now I'm just making you look silly. It's just fun. Boston Tea Party. John Adams actually initially referred to the Boston Tea Party as the destruction of the tea in Boston. Sounds just malicious, doesn't it? Not delicious, malicious. Boston Tea Party was a political protest by the Sons of Liberty in Boston on December 16, 1773. The demonstrators, some disguised as Native Americans, destroyed an entire shipment of tea sent by the East India Company in defiance of the Tea Act of May 10, 1773. They boarded the ships and threw the chests of tea into Boston Harbor. The British government responded harshly, and the episode escalated into the American Revolution. The Tea Party became an iconic event of American history. Get that picture in your head. What was at the heart of the Boston Tea Party? Anybody familiar with your uh, schoolhouse rock? Huh? Huh? Okay. Was it the price of tea from Britain to the colonies? No. The cost of tea had actually gone down because of the Tea Act. What these colonists were upset about was the fact that the British government was making decisions and ordinances on their behalf with no input from them. You've probably all heard the phrase that Will just mentioned, no taxation without representation. That's what this is dealing with. The American colonists had no say in how much tax would be levied against them, and therefore they had no power in the parliament that was ruling over them. They wanted a say. They wanted a voice. They wanted a representative to plead their case for them when the laws were being made. Someone who had their situation in mind, their best interest in mind. And so, the Boston Tea Party happened, which was a seismic event that would be a giant leap toward what we know as the American Revolution or the Revolutionary War, in which the colonists won their freedom from British rule and set up a constitutional republic in which citizens would vote to put in place representatives to, well, represent them in the governing work. We the people would be the ones making the decisions through elected officials who would represent the people. And everybody lived happily ever after, right? (laughs) Maybe not exactly, but the representative form of government was a big deal. It was a big win for the colonists and the founding fathers stated that their clear intentions that government would be by the people and for the people. So what's this got to do with the price of tea in China? See, tea. Okay. <clears throat> what's this got to do with Romans and our trek up the Mount Everest of this New Testament book? Actually has quite a bit to do with what we're going to talk about. We come today to the last paragraph in chapter 5, which is a big chunk of hard granite. If you were here for the introductory message to the book of Romans back in August, we started back in August, by the way, I checked that out. 
If you were here for the introductory message, the over overview before we actually got into the book, you might remember the illustration I used about coming into contact with God in parts of Romans being like my friend. Do you remember, remember what happened to my friend? Anybody with me? Okay. Yeah. They, they tried to ride this when he was a teenager. They tried to ride their skateboards down this long hill. And he got to the bottom of it and he hit the grass and it threw him off and he ran into a rock wall. Knocked his front teeth out. And if you'll remember, I said, there will be parts of Romans that we come up against a God who is like that rock. We're going to fly into Him face first. And it's going to hurt. He's not going to move. He's not going to change. Today, we start into one of those passages. And I said at the beginning here, this God, His way is perfect. you agree with that? Are you sure? Because we've made it to the bottom of the hill on the skateboard and we're about to hit the grass. Because let me tell you what, to me, to this point, the book of Romans has been an incredible journey, a joy, an exhilaration, like riding down that hill, wind in my face, get to the bottom and I made it! Then, where have we been? We're in point three of our outline. Blessings, the results of being right with God. We've been through sin. We've been through justification by faith. And now we're in blessings. And we'll finish that with a crescendo in Romans 8. We've talked about Asian station. Expiation is God taking the guilt of our sin away from us. Propitiation is God pouring out His wrath against our sin in the person of Christ. Imputation is God taking Christ's righteousness and giving it to us, which leads to justification. I have the right to be in God's presence. I have the right to stand there and be with God, which will result in my final salvation. Today, that middle word starts with an I. Somebody say it. Imputation. We are going to look a lot at imputation through this last paragraph in Romans 5. What is imputation? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for the world? That's what this paragraph is ultimately about. And we're going to hit it hard, and it's going to hit us hard. Um, And it is hard. I just want, again, I just want to give you that up front. Sometimes we come up against the truth about God that is hard. But God is immovable. Sometimes we fight. Sometimes we try to change that truth. And in doing so, we try to change God. But He won't move. He won't budge. I promise you, you will break. He will not. And what this passage has to do with is our being represented before God both before and after conversion. How are we represented? Are we represented? What's our part in choosing this representation? Do we get a vote? We'll start into this passage today to hopefully begin the process of finding out. I promise you there will not be resolution today. I can promise you that. 
I wanted to do this whole paragraph in one message and forget about it. I think Piper did five messages on this paragraph. Uh, Sproul did two in a Sunday evening overview. John MacArthur did at least four. It might have been more than that. So I'm not going to be stupid enough to try to take this whole chunk and throw it at you and say go out and be fruitful and multiply. <clears throat> so we'll begin the process today. What I want to do is look at the big paragraph as a whole. And we are going to read it, <clears throat> the whole paragraph. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. Verses 12 through 21. Today we will focus on 12 through 14. <clears throat> but you have to read this whole paragraph to understand what these first two, three verses mean. So, if you would, please stand as we read the Word of God out of reverence for the Word. Because if this is the Word of God, it's holy. And we need to reverence it. <clears throat> Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me pray. God, this is an overwhelmingly hard and overwhelmingly glorious passage of Scripture. I simply ask that Your Holy Spirit would work the miracle of revelation and illumination in the hearts and minds of these people, believer and non-believer, that You would draw people to Yourself and that we would understand You more and love You more. And if there are unbelievers here this morning, God, that they would be converted as they come in contact with the holy, powerful Word of God through Your Holy Spirit. Have Your way, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Now, just reading that, I mean, really, can you tell that's a lot of stuff? And just reading that, you can go, I don't know what in the world that just said. Am I right? I mean, really. If I went back and read it again, you'd be going, yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are a lot of bogs to be bogged down in in all this. There's a lot of opportunities for us to look and say, whoa, man, we could just really chase a rabbit here and never get back to the main point. And actually what happens is, at the beginning of our passage today, we take off on a little rabbit trail. So we're going to start with verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, 
because all sinned. So we start out with what word? Therefore. He just absolutely drives me crazy sometimes. I'm like, really, does everything have to tie back to what was just said? And that's just the way this logical Pauline thought goes. It's always connected. This is always connected to this, and this refers back to this. So we've got to look back to the previous verses to help us see what that therefore is therefore. But, and here's the tricky part, looking back and seeing this doesn't completely give us an understanding of what he's saying. Let me tell you why. I want you to note that this verse starts a thought that Paul doesn't pick back up until verse 18. So we're in verse 12, and he starts a thought here in verse 12, and see the hyphen? Hyphen's not inspired. That wasn't in the original manuscripts, but it's good. Because what happens is Paul gets to the end of this right here, and when he says sin, he's like, oh, wait a second. I need to explain something. And so what he does is he spends verses 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 explaining this first thought. And then in verse 18, he picks this thought back up. It's very, very... It's this long and this wide and this deep and this is just the start of the thought. So it's important to see we won't pick this thought back up until verse 18, which is probably two weeks away. So what I'm asking you to do, every one of you that's in here today and tell people that aren't here today, we need to be reading this passage, 12 through 21, on a regular basis so that we can keep the flow of thought in mind. Because what can happen is, when I get into 13 and 14 today, we can forget about this. But we can't. We can, but we shouldn't. Let me say it that way. So, he's starting a thought, and then the rest of today we'll be explaining this thought a little bit, and he won't pick it back up completely until verse 18. And that's very important to understand. So there's our rabbit trail. And we're going to spend the rest of our time today on that rabbit trail. (coughs) Excuse me. We won't finish this thought today, but it gives a foundation to build on. How many of you have ever built a house or been in the process of building a house? How many did you come and say, man, look at that foundation. Yes, sir. That's what I'm talking about right there. It's not sexy. It's not pretty. You know, it's just, it's what it is. But without it, you're going to fail. So, this is foundation today. That's why I said it's a sacrifice fly. It's not a grand slam. But you got to have it. I can't overemphasize that enough. So, back to what we talked about in the previous verses, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, so we can see why this therefore is there. Verses 1 through 11, I'm going to sum it up real quick. Verses 1 through 11 of chapter 5 served as an open door to the big old house of the blessings of being right with God. Remember our outline, point three? I think I could put that back up there like a smart man. Nope, I didn't. Not very smart, am I? Our outline, we're in the third point. Blessings, the results of being right with God. And in verses 1 through 11, we saw that we have, now listen to this, this is what verses 1 through 11 tell us. We have justification, we have peace with God, we have access by faith into grace, we have hope of the glory of God, we have rejoicing in suffering, endurance, character, we've got more hope, we've got God's love, we've got the Holy Spirit, we've got Christ's death while we were still enemies, we've got the fact that we're saved from the wrath of God, we've got reconciliation, we've got that we're saved by the life of Christ, and just for good measure, another mention of reconciliation. That's verses 1 through 11 of chapter 5. It's a lot. So now here we see Paul come out of that and say, therefore. So since we have all of that, 
What? Since we have all that, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. What? Seems confusing to me. You've got grace, you've got faith, you've got hope, you've got reconciliation with God. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. Does that confuse anybody but me? Because to me it doesn't fit. And again, it won't fit until we get into verse 18. But it seems a little confusing to me. Since all of that, then what? Then, just as sin came into the world through one man. Well, again, this will make some more sense once we've wrapped all this paragraph up. But for now, let's turn our attention to that clause, just as sin came into the world through one man. Now, what does that mean? just as sin came into the world through one man. What's it mean? What and who would Paul be referring to here? How did sin come into the world through one man? Thank you. Adam, somebody said it over here. I'm done. The who is obvious. Adam is the man through whom sin came into the world. One man brought sin into the world. It's a familiar story. Genesis 3, let's get there. I want you to see it in front of you. There, Here's my outline. I'm not as smart as I thought I was. Or maybe something. Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Familiar story, right? Forbidden fruit, Adam and Eve, ate the fruit. Let me say quickly, this is not allegory. This is not a story. This is history. Adam and Eve were real people. Adam and Eve ate an actual fruit in an act of disobedience to God. And that's foundational to the truth that we'll look at through this paragraph. If Adam and Eve weren't real people, if Adam wasn't a real man, if Adam wasn't the father of us all, and he was, if he wasn't, what we're going to look at in this paragraph means nothing. So yes, I am a young earth, literal, biblical, six-day creationist. I believe that God made everything we see in six days, spoke it into existence, formed Adam out of the dust of the earth, formed Eve, or fashioned Eve out of His rib, and that they were the original two people in the world, and that everybody has their parentage from Adam. If that's not a true fact, if that's not a historical fact, none of this that we're talking about today matters. So, that, that was a quick rabbit trail. Okay? So sin came into the human race through the first created beings. Adam and Eve sinned, and sin entered the human race. Sin as a force, as a principle, as a law, became the normal human condition. We were ruined from the beginning, at the source. So the first man sinned, and sin entered the world. But that's not all that entered the world. What else does Paul say came? 
and death through sin. So it wasn't just sin that came, but also death. Sin and death came in together. God had told the first humans that if they sinned, they would surely die. And there's further reference to this when God says in Ezekiel 18.20a, the soul who sins shall die. And we'll get to Romans 6 in probably a year or so, where it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what does sin bring? Death. Period. Okay? Again, foundation. It ain't sexy, but it's true. The wages of sin is death. Sin and death are inexorably linked. So when Adam sinned, death entered into the world. What kind of death? Well, obviously Adam and Eve didn't drop dead the moment they ate the fruit. So it wasn't sin and then instantly die. That'll be clearer later. But ultimately, death found Adam and Eve. The ability to die, death as the sure end of physical life, was introduced not just to Adam and Eve, but into the whole world. And not just to those two individuals, but look at the end of the verse in Romans 5. And so death spread to all men. Because... All what? That's pretty tough action. Hold on just a second. We need to get that in front of us again. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because... Wait a second. What did that just say? Death spread to all men through one man because all would sin, all will sin. No. Death spread to all men because through one man all sinned. I want you to let that sink in for just a second. This is the hardest part of the verse. And so death spread to who? Come on, it's right there. All men, all men, all the time throughout history, all men die now, right? With the exception of Enoch and Elijah, everyone in history has died. True? Anybody know anybody that hasn't died? They're like, well, I'm not dead. Well, you will die. Okay, it's going to happen. And why? Why has everyone in history, and why will everyone in history die? Because all sinned. Now, I don't think we have a problem saying everyone sins, that everyone is a sinner. Except Donald Trump. He told us that in 2 Corinthians, right? He wouldn't stop the other day. (laughs) All day long. Anyway, I'm sorry. (laughs) Now listen, all sinned, which is to infer that when Adam sinned, 
all sinned. Let me say that again. When Adam sinned, all sinned. Adam equals all. Did you get that? When Adam sinned, his sin was your sin. Our sin. My sin. Everybody's sin. Now how's that sit with you? Well, that ain't fair. R.C. Sproul said at this point, it's my favorite part of prep, by the way, was this point right here. R.C. Sproul said at this point, we are prone to feel like the American colonists, that's my part, and say, hey, wait just a minute. No damnation without representation. Come on, people, that's funny right there. That's his line, not mine. I want to give him full credit for that. No damnation without representation because if we take this at its stated value, what happens? We say it ain't fair. Whether you recognize it or not, if this verse is right, you are guilty of sin for the simple reason that Adam sinned. And if you're like me, that might upset you a little bit. We may cry out for representation. We may want to cast a vote for someone else, maybe even ourselves, to represent ourselves before God so that we might not be guilty of sin that someone else committed. We stiffen our back and say, God, that's not fair. I deserve a chance to prove that I wouldn't have sinned in that situation. I would show you that I could do better than Adam. I don't even like fruit, God. But guess what? Adam actually perfectly represents us all. Adam was created as and chosen as the representative of all men when he was made as the first man. And in that representative job, guess what he did? Actually, you don't have to guess. We know. He sinned. And so did you in Him. Now again, you may say, no, I didn't. I couldn't have. I wasn't there. But the economy, the plan, the work of God is based on representatives. It's the way God set things up. Adam was made to be your representative as the federal head of the human race. Let me explain that word federal a little bit. Because when we think federal, we instantly think government, right? The feds. The feds are coming for me. The word federal carries this definition. Formed by a compact between political units that surrender their individual sovereignty to a central authority but retained limited residuary powers of government. You're like, thanks a lot, that helps me a ton. Note when it says that units surrender their individual sovereignty. That means they give up a lot of their power. And then what? That sovereignty is surrendered to a central authority, in our case, the federal government, 
but they retain some power over that government. Like our Tea Partiers in the past, not today, not the Tea Party today, who wanted power and representation in the government that ruled over them. And that makes us feel pride and look at our forefathers and say, yeah, that's right, fight for the right to govern yourself. But here, with Adam, our federal head is not chosen by us. Who chose him? God chose Adam to be our federal head. Hmm. Hmm. God appoints the head of the race and gives that head authority and representative rights over the whole race. And He chose to use that power, Adam did, to do what? To sin. And the effects of that sin affected the whole race. By God's choice and then by Adam's choice. Adam, as the federal head of the race, chose sin and as a result of sin, death came to Him, to us, and to all mankind. That's hard to swallow, isn't it? Are you okay with that? Everybody, oh, it's fine. Seriously, that's hard to swallow. God set up a system where one person would represent everybody and His actions would have far-reaching effects into eternity for you and for me. I came out of the womb. No, 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 no. I was conceived in the womb in sin because of what Adam did. Not just because of what Adam did, but because of what I did in Adam. You're like, no, I didn't. Yes, you did. Because that's the way God set it up. Anybody's back get tight when you get mad? If I'm ever, God forbid, working on a car, oh man, I'd be at advance and I'd be changing a battery and a bolt would break off inside there. I'd skin my knuckles and I'm bent over that thing and right here, I'm like, and my back is hurting because it just tightens up instantly. And I think when I see truths like this, my back instantly starts tightening up. Because I get stressed out. I get mad. That is not fair. As for God, His way is perfect. Now, I think Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, knew there would be some second guesses, some reservations to the thought that everybody sinned in Adam. And so he breaks off that thought. Remember the hyphen? He breaks off that thought, which he'll pick back up in verse 18, and he seeks to give us some proof that what he just said is true. So let's look at verses 13 and 14. After I get past my other mumbo-jumbo. Okay. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there's no law. Paul just doesn't help me much. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Now, that's all the verses we'll look at today as far as Romans. Okay, so what's all this got to do with the price of tea in China? 
Better yet, what do these two verses have to do with what Paul just said about Adam sinning and bringing death to all of us? Let me try to sum it up quickly. We've seen that Adam, the first man, sinned and brought sin and death to all men. So when did sin come? Not a trick question. When Adam chose to sin. That's when sin came, okay? (coughs) Stay with me. From the first man, sin came. In verse 13, it says, Sin was in the world before the law was given. Well, that makes sense. When did the law come? What law is he talking about? The Mosaic law that God gave to Moses on a mountain at least, at least 1,500 years after Adam. So the law came 1,500 years after Adam at least. So Adam's sin, bringing sin into the world. Then almost 1,500 years later, the law came. So what Paul is saying here, sin was in the world before the law was given. Now that's simple math. A comes before B, right? But then the next part of the verse says, sin is not counted where there's no law. What? If there's no speed limit and you're going 128 miles an hour through Sophia, West Virginia, are you guilty? No, you're not. Because there's no limit to how fast you can go. You with me? Now, I didn't say speed limit sign. You're supposed to know how fast to go through Sophia, by the way. It's really slow. So sin is not counted where there's no law. So was sin in the world before the law? Yes, it was. We've already seen that. Sin came in with Adam. But was that sin counted against man before the law was given? Yes, it was. So what? What? What about Noah and how God killed the entire human race besides Noah and his family for what reason? For sin. I'm telling you, I've had many headaches these two weeks thinking about this. Because it just seems like, what? 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 In verse 14, death is brought back into the equation saying death reigned from Adam to Moses. Well, death is the consequence of what? Sin. But sin's not counted where there's no law. But people died from Adam to Moses, right? Easy question. People died from Adam to Moses, right? Okay. Wow, this really works, by the way. I can't hear a thing without this. I'm going to... Never mind. Sin had affected everybody from Adam to Moses. Where sin is, death is. And sin was in the human race because of Adam's sin. The wages of sin is death and sin was in the human race. And here's a key. All the people from Adam to Moses didn't die because of the individual sins they committed, but because sin was in their very being. Now that may not sound like much, but that's really, really, really important. Why did they die? Because they committed sins? No, because sin was in them. By the way, that differentiation between sin 
and sins will be incredibly important when we get into chapter 6. And he plants a little seed here to tell us there's a difference. They weren't judged with death as a result of their individual personal sins. They were judged and died because they came from bad stock. The seed was corrupted in Adam, so all the offspring was bad. Sin brings death. So we see sin, committing sin doesn't make us sinners, but the fact that we're sinners means that we sin. You with me? You with me? Okay. I could hear you when I did that again. Do we sin because we're sinners or are we sinners because we sin? And it's yes is the answer partially, but the main thought is we sin because we're sinners. You committing a sin doesn't bring sin into your life. The principle of sin came in with Adam. You're like, this is not fun. This is not... Stay with me for three more weeks at least. The seed was corrupted, the offspring was bad, sin brings death. So we see that we sin because we're sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. That's what the rest of verse 14 is pointing out. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. That means even the ones who didn't commit willful actual sins died as a result of the curse of sin and death. Now who would that be? Were there some who didn't commit sins from Adam to Moses? Now that's a trick question. Sure there were. Well, that wasn't the answer I expected to give you. Were there people from Adam to Moses who did not willfully sin like Adam willfully sinned? That's the question you got to ask. What about those who died in the womb? What about babies that died before making the conscious decision to sin? What about the mentally disabled who lacked the faculty to choose to sin? Did they die? Yeah. Why did they die? Because they sinned? No. Because they're sinners. They had sin in them. You say, well, that's not fair. We'll get back to that in a minute. So sin reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Adam's transgression was, I know what God said, I'm going to do it anyway. Death reigned even over those whose sinning wasn't like Adam's willful choosing to sin. Why? Because sin was in the world. And Adam's sin was their sin. Now, time out. Is that hard? Yes. Yes, that is hard. And I'm telling you guys, I have spent hours over these last two weeks thinking about this. I don't expect you to just say, oh, okay, I get it, and leave here today. Think about these things. Work them over in your head. This is hard. I'm not saying I've got it. I'm still wrestling with it. Even those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. 
So there were people who had not chosen to commit sins and they still died. And it still happens today, right? We lost four babies in the womb. They died. Why did they die? Because of sin. Not their willful choosing to sin, but because sin is in the world. And through sin comes death. Doesn't seem fair. The principle of sin, the pollution of sin is rampant in all of them and all of us. So their transgression may or may not have been like Adam's willful choice to commit a sinful act, but they all died because of sin. Adam's sin, Adam's failure brought sin and death to all, even those who may not have chosen to sin on their own. And then the last part of verse 14 says something particularly important about all of this. This last clause, not Santa, who was a type of the one who was to come. Now, who would this one who was to come be referring to? Adam was a type of who? Oh, I got to do this. I forgot. It was Jesus, right? We'll see that later, but I'll, I'll give you the answer ahead of time. Adam was a type of Jesus. Jesus was the one who was to come. And this will make a lot more sense when we finish with this passage in a few weeks. But for right now, let's suffice it to say that Adam is like Jesus in some way. Now, of course, it wasn't in the way in which Adam sinned because Jesus never sinned. So how was Adam like Jesus? In that he was our representative. Guess who else is our representative? Jesus is our representative if we're believers, if we've placed our faith in Him. Adam was like Jesus in that he represented us before God. And in Adam, Adam's representation of us was all sinned. And He's a type of Christ in that He represents us. Jesus comes and gives us a new representative. That is really good news. And listen, we'll jump up and we'll sing, Hidden with Christ in God, and I am one with Him, and I can never die. And we'll say, Yes, God, high five representation! And then we'll look at Adam and say, Wait a minute, God, that's, that's not fair. Why do we do that? Because we're sinners. And God knows that. And He knew that we would need a representative to represent us before Him as someone who never sinned. Why is the virgin birth important as a historical event? Because God bypassed the human seed. Now Mary was a sinner but God placed in her divine seed untouched by a union of two cells. And God placed a divine seed in her so that really she was a carrier, but the seed that she carried was not polluted by Adam's sin. That's why the virgin birth is important. That's why the virgin birth had to happen. That's why it had to be a historical event. Because if Jesus wasn't conceived immaculately, meaning through divine intervention, 
Jesus Christ would have been born a sinner and He would have been born under Adam's curse because Adam represented everybody who was born of a woman. God set things up so that we could be given the unrighteousness of Adam, but He also set it up so that we could be given the righteousness of Christ. So Adam was like Christ in that he was our representative. You could say he was an antitype, which means he was exactly the opposite of Jesus as far as sin and righteousness goes. But he served as a type of Jesus in that he was our representative before Jesus was. There was one coming who would be what we need to overcome, what we were in the one who represented us originally. God set us up for failure so that He could set us up for success in a much grander way. Now take just a second and take all that mess and run it through the sausage grinder. Anybody ever make sausages? Really gross process. Hot dogs. Take just I really really just take just a second and try to process what what all we've just said because it's a lot. What does it mean? What is all of this mess? I mean, really, how does it apply to us now? These application points that we're going to look at as we finish are really doctrinal truths that shape what we believe and therefore how we live. Just like the virgin birth. Why do we believe the virgin birth? That's an important doctrinal point. A lot of people have punted it and said, we don't need it. It's not important. It is important. I want to look at, I think it's four. One, yeah, four. And we'll be done. The first application point, the first doctrine that becomes application for us is the doctrine of sovereignty. Please hear me say this as plain and as clear as I can say it in a non-vengeful, non-hateful, non-mean way. Please, please hear me say it. God writes the rules. You don't get a vote in the throne room of God. You don't get to make the plan. The plan was made when? Before the foundation of the world. Scripture says the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. And God in His sovereignty didn't show up in the garden and go, Oh no! Wasn't looking for that. When I said don't do it, I meant don't do it. Now you've messed everything up. God showed up in the garden and made a prophecy, even in the curse, that said a seed is coming who will crush your head, serpent. You'll bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. This has been the plan from before the beginning of the world because God is sovereign. And you don't get a vote in that. And I know that steps all over your American liberty, but God doesn't care. He doesn't. He doesn't get to this point of Scripture and say, I'm really sorry about this part. Sorry. He sits on the throne and says, I am God. I will knock your teeth out. 
if I have to with this truth. And this applies to every area of your life. God is in perfect control and He knows what's best for your good and His glory. And He is causing all things to work together. We'll see in Romans 8 in a year or two that He is doing that. He's causing all things to work together for your good and for His glory in a sovereign, magnificent way. Listen, church, He loves you. But He only trusts these things to Himself. The Bible, the plan of salvation, the running of the world, He is the one who set things up for one purpose, and that purpose is His glory displayed in the person of our perfect representative who is Jesus Christ. He set us up for a fall so that we could be redeemed through a perfect representative. Colossians 1, 15-20 He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him, for Jesus. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. That's us. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross." That's a pretty good plan. Even when we don't like it. Sovereignty. The second doctrine slash application point is original sin. Depravity. It's really bad news. It's awful news. The tragedy of sin coming into the world, bringing death to who? To all men. You are much worse off than you know before redemption. You are dead in your transgressions and in your sins. You are unable to please God. You are unable to save yourself because you are a wreck because of original sin. And original sin is not the first sin that Adam created. Original sin is the state of sin being in us as no result of anything that we personally did. You were born in original sin. In their song, I was born in original sin. Huh? No, no, that too. <laughs> born in the USA, born in original sin. It's, it's kind of the same thing, right? I love America. Original sin is an incredibly important doctrine and you have to understand it if you're going to be saved. As you sit here today, which is still morning for 13 more minutes, this morning as you sit here, you were born in sin. As you sit here this morning, please hear me say it, you sinned in Adam. That's important. And that's when we talk about the word imputation, which is our third doctrine slash application point. We're all about being imputed Christ's righteousness, aren't we? That's really good news. But it's only really good news because we have been imputed Adam's sin as well. 
Adam's sin was cast upon us because we sinned in Adam and we don't like to look at that side of imputation. But we have to. In order to understand the much more of salvation and the imputation that comes to cause us to be saved, we have to understand the imputation of that original sin which puts us in the category of death. And he'll develop that thought more as we go through this paragraph. Sovereignty, original sin and depravity, imputation. It ends up that the fact that we were imputed Adam's sin turns out to be really good news for us. Because if we were imputed Adam's sin, we can also be imputed Christ's righteousness. God set this system up on a system that is based on imputation. And that's great news. Because if not, then we've got to earn our salvation. We've got to try to do better in our sin. And we can't. But God set up a system where we could be given the righteousness of somebody else outside of ourselves, an alien righteousness. Not our own righteousness, but the very righteousness of God Himself because of the truth of imputation. The fact that you were imputed Adam's sin is fantastic news because that means you can be imputed Christ's righteousness as well. You've got to understand the doctrine of imputation on both sides of the coin. Last point. Psalm 1830. We'll finish where we started. This God. This God that we looked at in Romans. This God that we see in the garden. This God that we see making a plan before the foundation of the world. This God who has already written the future. This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. You may look at it and say, this system's messed up. I don't deserve to be imputed Adam's sin. But listen, this God, His way's perfect. That's fantastic news. That's good news. It's good news that I sinned in Adam. This God, His way is perfect. And I love the end of that. The Word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. Trust in the fact that God will impute the righteousness of Christ to you on the basis of faith. And He will be a shield for you as you take refuge in Him. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. Because of imputation. Because of the sovereignty of God. Because of a God who in His perfect plan ordained original sin. That does in no way put sin on God. God is separate from sin. He is holy. But God ordained a plan in which sin is a part of it. In which sin brings death so that Jesus Christ can overwhelmingly conquer through His act of obedience, His act of righteousness. And if we will take shelter in Him, He will be a shield for us in a perfect way. I promise you don't deserve that. But I can promise that He has said it. 
I can promise that He has set up a perfect plan. And we see it all the way back in the garden and before. Original sin, fantastic news. Because God had a way prepared beforehand to overwhelmingly conquer that. Let's pray. God, that is a big bone to chew on. And I pray that we wouldn't tire of wrestling with it. I pray that we would not too quickly dismiss it and say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Knock my teeth out, God. If that's what it takes for me to submit to you and your will. Break me in pieces, if that's what it takes, so that you can build me back up in the image of Christ. May I stop arguing with sovereignty. And may I embrace your gracious plan that comes through that sovereignty. God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, convict us and help us to see our sin so that we can see the miracle of the righteousness of Christ. Thank you for Jesus, who now stands in your presence and represents me before you. Thank you that I didn't have a vote because I would have never cast that vote myself. I say yes to you and your plan, God. May we all do that, not just this morning, not just in this place, but as we go out and as we face the hardships and the difficulties that are creating in us a weight of glory that far exceeds anything that we'll go through here. Thank you that your word is sure. Your word is true and that it's a shield to those who take refuge in you. God, I confess, your way is perfect. And I praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand for a benediction, and we'll be finished. Hmm. Let me proclaim this good word over you as you leave. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. And all the people of God said, Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.